Hi, Kath. Hey, Don. Kathy, I'm so excited. I love when I meet <laughs> fantastic people. And then I love even more when they say they'll come on our podcast. Yay. Yes. We have a really special guest. We do. His name is, their name is, Zem's name is Matthew. <laughs> our non-binary friend goes by the pronouns Z and Zem. Yes. Right? Is that correct, Matthew? That is correct. Hello, and, everyone. And I Hi, am going to make that mistake probably 20 times, but I will have it down, I promise. Yeah. So um, Matthew Mackey is a local politician here in the Hudson Valley in New York. Now, if you are listening not in the Hudson Valley and not New York, you're still going to love his, their Zem's story. Good job, Don. You, you are self-correcting. I got it. I got that it. That is accountability 101. I'm <laughs> proud of you. Z is amazing. Um, uh, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet Zem, uh, watch Zem give a speech. And I was like, Matthew belongs in our circle. I can't wait to tell him we're going to be best friends. And I, I think I literally said, yeah. um, them. We're gonna yeah. be best. So, sorry, Sam. We're gonna have to we're gonna be best them. friends. And um, I think I literally said to you, "Hi, we're gonna be best friends." She does you that. Did. She sends people did. in that and way. And to your credit, and to your credit, you didn't blink. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> you were like, "Okay, crazy lady, I'll listen to you." <laughs> so we bonded over Barbara Streisand. How could we, we not did. become best friends? How can how can we not? So yeah. um. Uh, the first time I encountered Matthew was at a, uh, it was like a meet the candidates forum and the candidate I was working for over the summer, uh, a Democrat and Matthew's a Democrat, correct? Yeah. Yes. Right. And um, when uh, the boring uh, people all spoke and I was uh, <laughs> zooming, you know, zoning out uh, Matthew introduced himself, themselves, themselves, Matthew Them introduced yeah. themselves. And I, and I was like, I'm in love with this person. And um, so I thought you are running for office here locally, but if you're listening, uh, every dollar counts. I hope that you will get some supporters from this podcast at the very least, but we're going to also be inspired because your story is so inspiring because our, you, you walk the walk, mm. you talk the talk, you walk the walk. So when people say, I'm so angry about what's happening in the world and you say, well, what are you doing about it? Matthew says, I'm going to run for office and change. So good for you. So with Thank that, good Matthew, for you, Matthew, please tell us your story. I, uh, so uh, my name's Matthew Mackey. Um, and I, I will again reiterate my uh, pronouns are Z, Zem, <laughs> Zemself, Zay. It all works for me. Um, and I, uh, 
was born and raised in the Hudson Valley in the Catskill area. Uh, I am unapologetically queer. I'm non-binary. I'm a social justice activist. And when I'm elected, I'll be the first non-binary New York state legislator. Boop, boop, um, boop, boop. Yeah. And the <laughs> second in the whole country. Wow. Um, the first non-binary legislator uh, comes from Oklahoma. So if they can huh. do it in Oklahoma, we can do Come it. Come on, in- people. 100%. Come on, New York. Show up. 100%. Um, so I'm a huge social justice activist, a disability rights advocate. Uh, mm. Both of my parents are deaf. And so I grew up in a time period where the Americans with Disabilities Act was enacted, but mm-hmm. the resources weren't provided to localities to really give people with disabilities the resources they need to just function in everyday life. Mm-hmm. So at three years old, I had to grow up really fast and become my parents' interpreter for yes. everything. Um Like something as simple as making a deli order at a counter is something Mm -hmm. that I had to do at three years old, answering Mm -hmm. phones and sometimes even having conversations that a three-year-old doesn't understand the implications of, but having those translations over the phone and, and, and giving that and providing that to my parents. And so, you know, uh, I grew up in, like I said, in the Hudson Valley Catskill region. And even though we're in New York, it's like everything past New York City with, you know, some exceptions in, in upstate New York is really going into very conservative territory. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up around a lot of homophobia and transphobia, and I was really like a depressed person. I was called gay every day. I was called derogatory terms for being gay every day. Um, and at that point in time in my life, as a, as a young adult, 12, 13 years old, I didn't even know what those terms meant, but I knew there was that negative connotation behind it based mm-hmm. on what was happening. And it really led me to a point where I became very depressed and insecure about myself. And um, I became a statistic where, you know, LGBTQ people in the world right now, and including in uh, the United States, are much more likely to be depressed, have mental health issues, um, have suicidal ideations. And I was one of those people. Um, I almost uh, took my life when I was 16. Um, And, you know, thankfully, Something stopped me. Uh, I don't really talk about this very often, but um, when I was 16, I like had a bottle of vodka and a bottle of pills in my hand. I don't know what the pills were. It was just a a cacophony of pills. And um, my stereo alarm went off and it was just at the moment when I thought I was going to, you know, end my suffering. Mm. But, this music started playing from my stereo and it just kind of stopped me in that moment and made me feel loved and feel validated mm-hmm. and and know that you know my life had some meaning here on this planet and on this plane 
And so I literally stopped that. I put it down and whatever it was just made me feel very comforted in that moment. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. So I took that as, you know, a message from whoever, whatever's out there that, you know, you are loved, you're valid, and this isn't what you should be doing. Um, So I decided, you know, I needed to get away from it all. I needed to uh, find myself and discover who I was. And, you know, I went to college very far away from where I lived, (laughs) just SUNY Fredonia, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then to New York City. And I found a community there. uh, Mm -hmm. As part of the LGBT community, I was really able to, you know, explore myself and who I wanted to become. And then I noticed that like my parents, there was this community that didn't really have a voice on campus. So I started the first LGBTQ organization on campus. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, We raised thousands of dollars for uh, HIV and AIDS awareness and Mm -hmm. uh, inclusive sex education on campus. We ran inclusive sex ed on our campus. Um, And we held the college's first drag show, which was super fun Mm -hmm. and exposed me to drag. (laughs) So I became a dragtivist, a drag queen (laughs) activist. Which is now drag zempress, uh, the okay. a more non-binary term. Okay. Um, okay. And then <laughs> I came. I came back home. I became a bartender and a waiter, and became the world's cheapest therapist. And, <laughs> and, and traveled across the country, and then I became a family advocate for children with special needs and learned about the insurance companies and how horrible they are mm-hmm. with exploiting loopholes. And um, I then pursued a career in social work and political social work and making sure that the legislation that's actually passed by, you know, our state legislature or Congress is actually helpful to communities and that we're providing the resources for those policies to actually impact those mm-hmm. communities. So my life's journey has really come full circle. Like I'm mm-hmm. doing now what I was doing for my parents as a child. Um, and I could ramble on and on and on. So please feel free to interrupt. Can you, no, we're just, I, I, just, I, I want just... you, I want you to tell the story about uh, what happened during COVID and okay. Hold, yeah. hold the thought okay. down because I want to go okay. back to you, you said some very deep and very intimate things. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that and how proud we all are, whoever's listening. And I know we just met um, that you you heard the divine and you felt something intuitively to know that you have a purpose. And we have so much more in common. We have a lot in common. Matthew, that's, I want to share with you because you were strong and, and so vulnerable and you share, I want to share with you. So we're in this together that I was born deaf. I got my hearing back. I became an interpreter. You know, I was in the education, you know, um, I understand the culture and bicultural, you know, in that. 
And um, most of my life, it was just to say, thank you for getting my hearing back is why I did it. And I ended up becoming an advocate for deaf education, deaf and hard of hearing students and families. Um, my, my, my life's mission has been about family advocacy. I have a special needs son and that's why I got into advocacy. And then I made systemic changes in New York state. I, in, in 2011, I, I was the one that advocated for, uh, Medicaid reform and, um, you know, waiver programs. So I was one of, one of four people who, who fought that. And I was very proud to do that. Uh, politics is not my thing because I'm only articulate when I'm channeling something. <laughs> it's not when I'm speaking my own words, but when something comes through. But I too being uh, feeling different, and of course it's not the same, that's not the same story, but the understanding of, I never felt like I belonged. I didn't have a support of my own identity as someone who channels and who was different and could hear things. And I thought there was something wrong with me. and. I uh, tried to commit suicide seven times and fortunately it didn't work out and I'm so glad about that. I've had suicidal ideations until my late 20s, early 30s um, and, it, and it's, it's, it's about of depression but it was really about of just not feeling like I belonged and wanted to go somewhere where I did. So my spiritual journey, so with that it led me to my spiritual journey to find out why I don't belong. And now I'm, I'm a spiritual Oracle person. I don't even know what I am, but like, you know, and here I am talking about like helping, I help children and families who, who have those same feelings of uh, why am I different? Why is it that I could feel things or see things? So I think it's very interesting. I just want to ask you a question if that's okay. Yeah, please feel free. Um, as, as someone who was, who was born deaf and, and had hearing loss and have had hearing issues, I feel that there's always, you when one sense is gone, another one is enhanced. So I believe that my third eye popped if, because as a survival, because I had an older sister that didn't want me to be born and I really needed to have protection in some way. <laughs> so intuitively i needed to know what she was in coming. fairness in fairness suddenly i had to share my bedroom with my annoying other sister and mom had no time okay i was four years old at the time okay she loves me more than anything in the planet i just joke about it she loves me more than anything um so i understand like you know the 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 do you have that sense of extra, you know, ESP, you just have this extra sense, your intuition is just like heightened, just being around it. You know, even if, even if you are hearing and you're in an environment where you are overcompensating because your sense of survival is now heightened and it's traumatic. You had traumatic events over and over without realizing and then having an identity, you know, trying to to work on that identity, it's like something pops. So that intuition and that third eye and your, you know, just pops. Did you feel that way? Um, yeah, I, I would say that that was probably the moment where I felt like it popped. Um, it, it, in that kind of sense. Yeah, and it made me it made me feel like my otherness was I was no longer alone. 
And that is, yeah, it was that, it was that shift. Um, almost like an emotional catharsis. Like it just, Hmm. I just felt like I was being surrounded by love. And, uh, uh, it, Probably that was probably the one thing that really shifted my dynamic and my life path, really. So, um, although I want everyone to to seek help if yes. they need it for yes, you know, please. and seek someone because you uh, the the big message there is you're never alone. There's always mm-hmm. someone out there who is able to listen, who's able to relate, and who's able to help. Um, but, but that moment for me, I really felt like that was that, that pop. I was that pop. I was 15. I was yeah. 15. I was by myself. I got into a fight with my mother and she was screaming. I can't handle when people scream. I can't handle yelling. I can't. Um, she was screaming at me and I really just had nowhere to go. And um, I already had school phobia anxiety and i ran into my room and i had pills mom's pills mom's pills and i'm rocking in the in my bed and i'm hysterical crying like i'm done i want i want to go i want to you know i'm done and i just remember the more i cried the more i felt like somebody was just holding me and rocking with me and I started to, to just be calm and started to breathe. And I was like, you know, that, you know, and just that you're okay and you hear it and you don't know how you hear it. And it was the first time me meeting my, my guardian angel, you know, that was meeting Gabriel yeah. and hearing him say, you've got plans. You have a purpose. You can't, sorry. It's basically like nice try, but you have plans. The world needs you. And it's in those vulnerable moments when you connect to spirit, because we're on a spiritual podcast, is like when you hit some kind of spiritual something, you you feel your higher self is mm-hmm. is when that pop you're saying is when it happens. And unfortunately, but fortunately, you have to hit that to, to really see what you're really made of and where you're really supposed to go. It's It's all of a sudden everything is so clear. Yeah. And, no, and absolutely. hundred percent. And I promise you after the podcast, when I write in the details, I'll make sure I put in, um, suicide hotline and I'll write yeah, a disclaimer yeah. for yeah, that. We'll so do that. We'll, Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll do a trigger warning. We'll do a trigger Thank warning. You. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's so important to talk about because, um, people who make change in the world is through adversity is beauty, right? Yeah. And Buddhism. So anyway, I don't want to take too much from you, but I just wanted to share that you weren't alone in that and that I can relate to it and understand it. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel that. I feel that. I'm just going to give you a hug. I'm going to start crying. It's a whole whole big thing over here. It's a whole big thing on this Zoom. Whole big thing. Go ahead, Donna. You had a question. It was it was more on the practical plane about like I love your story about how you know you took a terrible situation and caused it to be your inspiration. So do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, absolutely. So um as I said before, I I was a family advocate for kids who have special needs, um, mostly for their families. And ironically, um, I was hired by the insurance company that I was arguing with 
on behalf of their members for for their families mm-hmm. that of children yeah. who have special needs. So I had, and it relates back to like the moment when I decided I was going to run for office. And I was, one of my clients was a 12 year old, um, a 12 year old traumatic brain injury patient from an accidental gunshot wound from the head Mm. or to the Mm. head. And, you know, I treat every person I meet like they're my own family. So like, I celebrate in in the joys of every client's, you know, milestones. And, you know, I grieve in the same sorrow when people haven't made their milestones or or something happens. And so this child was um, in an inpatient rehabilitation center, relearning how to walk and talk um, after being in a coma for eight months while his brain was healing from this gunshot wound. And um, it it was heartbreaking, but there were so many milestones. Like he was relearning how to walk and talk and and they didn't even know if if he was gonna be able to do that again. And he was making those moments happen. Mm -hmm. So he was in an inpatient rehabilitation center for about six months. And um, then the COVID, crisis and pandemic started creeping in slowly and his whole medical provider team had reached out to the insurance company and were submitting prior authorizations to have his inpatient care moved to an outpatient setting where um, he could get at-home therapy Mm -hmm. because they provided tons of medical evidence and the reasoning why his immune system would not be able to accommodate COVID if he should contract it. And that he would ultimately lose the fight against COVID if he should get it. Mm. And for three and a half months, we fought with the insurance company to try to get the outpatient services and he contracted COVID and died. And it was due to the negligence of the insurance company that this child got COVID and died. And I was so angry and frustrated and sad. I can't, I like, it was heartbreaking to me because the, the, his life was just smothered out for no reason other than greed. Yeah, it was was completely Mm -hmm. avoidable. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why they did not approve those services was because of greed. Plain and simple. Because of what? Greed. 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 Insurance companies exploit (coughs) loopholes (coughs) in the system every single day just so that they don't have to pay for services. I mean, one client that I had we had to fight for, and this was another child, 13 years old, paralyzed from the waist down, had, uh, uh, was autistic and had sensory issues. And so he needed specialized wheels on his wheelchair that would lower the vibrational sensation as you're using the wheelchair okay. so that he was not freaking out every single time. And it took us almost a whole year to get that wheelchair approved Jesus, for just the wheels, 
just the wheels denied the whole wheelchair. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent with medical directors, doctors who weren't even supposed to be touching the case. Like um, there was a psychologist who was doing prior authorizations at the insurance company who had no idea about or wasn't specialized in orthopedic uh, medicine at all, um, who was denying these wheelchairs constantly over and over again. And we probably spent $100,000 denying that wheelchair. And that wheel, those wheelchair wheels were only $30 more than regular wheelchair wheels. So it, it becomes this huge waste to the system. Uh, I mean, so I'm ton, I'm angry about that, but back to the situation at hand. Like, I, I was going to school to become a social worker, and I was going, I, I had a focus on pediatric disability consultancy. So that way I could do, have more of an impact with helping families who right. have children with special needs. And I got so angry and frustrated, and I needed to, I needed to do something. I couldn't understand why that was legal. I just couldn't. And so um, I was sitting in my social work class and um, the social work professor is now talking about all the different types of social work you can go into. And one of the things was legislative social work and policy social work, political social work. And most people don't even know social workers wow. can exist in the political world. And so I was like, Oh, wow. Bingo. That's what I need to be doing. And so I completely shifted my focus from being a pediatric disability consultant to creating systemic change through policy advocacy. And I then geared my entire degree around policy advocacy. So I started working with the National Association of Social Workers, the New York State Chapter in Albany on their Advocacy and Government Relations Committee and their Social Justice Committee. And for the last three years, I've been advocating directly with legislators, meeting with legislators in their office, meeting with their aides, going to rallies and organizations, creating petitions, doing whatever I can to make sure that the policies in Albany have an equitable impact towards communities. And one of the first things I want to do when I'm elected is get the New York Health Act passed and make sure that every New Yorker has healthcare guaranteed to them without this whole third party bureaucracy bullshit that literally causes death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the opponents on the opposite side to this say, you know, there's death panels that'll be set up. The death panels are here, they exist already. Mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah. know Good because point. I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't have six months or if some pandemic happens and we cannot give the care that medical providers are suggesting to their patients and they die, that's a death panel. Right. You're Period. Point right. blank. Done. Yeah. Yeah. So there's ways that we can make the system more equitable for people, but that's one of the things we got to tackle head on. And, right. Yeah. So this happens. Matthew looks up from, you know, the ashes and looks around and says, what? I'm going to run for 
that. I'm right? going to run for assembly. Right now. Yep. Okay. So now comes the civics lesson. Explain what assembly is yeah. and how it works. Because I was shocked when I was on the campaign trail, how few people know how mm -hmm. state New York state politics work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Civics so, 101. Civics 101. <laughs> specifically for New York state. Specifically for New York state. Yeah. So. Uh, much like we have Congress, right, where we have the House of Representatives and we have the Senate, New York State has a similar uh, um, binumeral House system or binumeral chamber, I should say. Mm -hmm. We have the New York State Assembly, which functions like the House of Representatives in Congress. And then we have the Senate that functions like the Senate in Congress. And um, then we have the executive branch, which is... Um, the governor and the lieutenant governor and all the agencies under the executive branch. So in New York state, um, the we have something called legislative sessions, which typically happen the first week of January and it goes into mid-June. After mid-June, there are no legislative sessions, no, like unless it's at the call of the speaker of the assembly or the senate majority leader they can call back the assembly and the senate at any given time which means that our representatives are only in in albany for six months out of the year the remaining portion of the year they are supposed to be in their constituencies doing constituent work and helping solve crises there's things that happen in the assembly and senate like they can still do uh, public hearings on bills and, and call them back, but there's no open session for voting on legislation that's sitting in Albany. Mm. On top of that, <laughs> we have a budgetary process, which takes up a majority of the assembly and Senate's time that runs from the first week of January to April 1st by state law, the New York state budget has to pass April 1st. So a majority of those four months are just spent on the New York state budget and making sure that advocacy organizations and not-for-profits are getting the grant monies that they deserve or, you know, different funding programs that need to happen for New York state and uh, all the agencies that need to function. But then after that, any policy for 10 weeks, it's just 10 weeks, any, uh, any policy that is um, non-budgetary in nature and doesn't have a monetary impact gets focused on. They can still pass non-budgetary um, policies within uh, those that first four months, uh, but typically most people are focused on the New York state budget because it's huge. So everyone is now arguing for their little portion of the budget to go back into their communities and bring resources back. But at the end of the day, how the budget is really decided is the Speaker of the Assembly and the Senate Majority Leader and the Governor meet in a room and they talk about the budget and that's how the budget is really set up. The yeah. assembly creates a one house budget. The Senate creates a one house budget. They submit them both to the governor and then they start negotiating behind a closed door about the budget, about mm. what's going to be cut, what's going to not be cut. 
things like that, where we mm. can, you know, do these little cuts in other places to make sure some things are funded. And, and children it's... are always first. The children are always first. <laughs> Correct. Um, and so that's, again, they release this information to the public after this budget is done. And then all the public input comes in. So all the advocacy groups, that's why in Albany, uh, in March, it's a huge moment where advocacy organizations just swarm mm -hmm. the Capitol and lobby and lobby outside the building like you can't cut this. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a all hands in moment. That's what Legis Kathy was doing. Yeah, it's legis legislative day, we call it legislative yes, day. Yes, le yeah. Legislative and, uh, day. Mm -hmm. We call it Capital Action Day in, <laughs> in the social work world. Yeah. Um, and in the collegiate world, we call it Legislative Action Day. Um, and uh, they are typically very busy, very prominent. Mm -hmm. And um, but a, not a lot of people know that advocacy organizations do this work all year long. Like yes. it doesn't just stop mm -hmm. because legislative sessions over like mm -hmm. they, advocacy organizations meet with their politicians all the time and um so that's a little bit of the insight of the new york state uh mm -hmm. political process mm -hmm. um i think and this might not be the most popular thing in the world but i think we need to extend our legislative sessions and give our advocacy organizations more time to be able to effect effectively advocate for bills and get them passed you literally um, get 10 minutes matthew you get 10 minutes you go in you have to have your spiel and sometimes yeah. they, the uh, the assembly person isn't even in there they bring their assistant in yeah. and then i look at them and i say you're going to forget everything i say so you need to either bring that person in or i i can't tell you how many times the only yeah. way i just want to like this is relevant yeah when my advocacy group okay i don't want to say the organization i worked for uh went in i was a family advocate it was like the first it was like really a new position coming in and i was like i'm going to use this for my own personal i went in with my own personal mission because um i got st i had a government job and i was stuck with eighty thousand dollars and eighty thousand dollars in medical bills having blue cross blue shield government insurance i got stuck with an eighty thousand dollar bill because my son was hospitalized for three months at a time and it was a thousand dollars a day a thousand dollars a day to be in a hospital yeah mental in a mental uh hospital mental health hospital and i was like okay and meanwhile i was like why can't i just stay home take care of my son <laughs> You know, like the same thing, like this doesn't make any sense. I gathered all of the bills, all his psychiatry bills, the medication. He was on Latuda was $3,000 a month. I had to spend for two months, $3,000 that I didn't have. $3,000 I wasn't paying something else and I had to live on a couch. Yeah, yeah, you had to, at that time you had to be homeless. I was homeless. To, to get help for him. I could not afford an apartment. I was going couch to couch, uh, sleeping at the hospital in the doctor's den. They let me stay in that creepy cottage that looked like a horror film. And I'm like by myself. And because I could not, now what am I not gonna have my kid have? It was either him 
homicidal, suicidal, you know, or medication. He needs to be on medication. And the anger I had that I could I had to quit my jobs, not have a home because I had to pay for medications. Never mind my medical medications, didn't matter. I didn't pay for those. I stole from my friend. I said, listen, I'm stealing this Lutuda. She's like, go ahead. She goes, I'll get it refilled because I have insurance. That's how it had to be. We had to take from each other to survive with our children. And I went in and I took all the bills. They spent in one year, $428,000 on one child between Medicaid and, mm -hmm. and health and all this kind of insurance. I'm like, how is that making any sense? That's including his education, his boarding in his, in his residential program. And I'm not living. So how is this making sense? S Steve Saland. He came in, I gave former him state Senator, former state Senator had an office in there and his assistant, I pitched something to someone. I didn't even know who they were. I'm not, I'm not fluent in the political world. All I know is somebody needs to fucking hear me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was in the cafeteria. I had this folder and Steve Sland was came in and said, are you so-and-so? And I was like, yeah, I'm so-and-so. And he's like, can I see this folder that you showed this assistant of something? I was like, yeah. And he was looking through the receipts and he says, can I make copies of this? I went back to some office. They made this copies. And then in 2011, Cuomo put this thing, by 2016, we're going to do managed care. We had literally five years of investigation and research and all the stuff that they wanted to do. It was, it was an honor for them to even think about that. But the only way they changed it, Matthew, is because I put the fucking bill in front of them and said, you spent a half a million dollars on one child and I didn't have a home. How are you giving my son a half a million dollars and I don't have a home? I don't understand this. You don't take care of the, you know, you take care of the child. You, you don't take care of the family. It's like fixing a car with, you know, with flat wheels. It, 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 nothing in the system is making sense. And so no matter how hard you advocate, no matter, even if it's for COLA, for direct care workers, cost of living adjustments for we need people to take care of our children. Yeah. There's no staff. My son says, thank God he's older. Thank God he's in his 20s and he's high functioning. He says, mom, it's like the Hunger Games in here. He's, <laughs> like, he's worried about the lower functioning children. He's like, we didn't have staff. I thought I had to go help the lower functioning kids. That's what he says. Yeah, he changed diapers. He was he literally he told us he was changing diapers. He was helping with the lower functioning kids mm -hmm. because staff did not come in because they didn't because they quit. They had like this huge quit quitting thing. It's like because it yeah, it's it's whatever. just yes. like you know, the mm -hmm. stories of being inside and I'm, this is about you, Matthew, but I'm just like it's so relevant to who's listening because this is the point. This is why you need to be voted in and you need to be in the system and this is why you need to you need to do you need to do this math you look at me my like this <laughs> yeah. you just do it <laughs> yeah you just no, do it you're because absolutely right it the system is ridiculous and the way that it's set up is it harms people and 
that the role of government is to be helping people, not harming people. And harming. when we, when we are, when there are special interests involved, like when we make healthcare a for-profit thing, there are always going to be the shortcuts made to make the buck at the end of the day, because the way, and I learned this as a social worker, the way business ethics work is completely different than our regular human ethics that we have every right. single day. Like what we think is ethical and moral is not in the the business world. It's why like in Connecticut, right? Um, there was a, a no hel- a, a motorcycle helmet law that people were advocating for because motorcycle motorcycle helmets are there for a reason, safety. But statistics show that if you're in a motorcycle accident and you have a helmet on, you are five times more likely to survive that accident. Mm-hmm. But what they don't the what the insurance companies were doing on the side was lobbying all of the uh, senators and the legislators that were in Connecticut to not do the motorcycle helmet law. Why? Because the other statistic is you are eight times more likely while wearing a helmet in a motorcycle accident to have more extensive care needed after an accident. And insurance companies' business ethics were it's cheaper to let someone die. Than it is sure this is a sure it's airplanes the airlines do the same thing yeah Yeah. it's Mm -hmm. cheaper to let we have to wear helmets on an airplane no no kathy it's (laughs) the airlines the airlines also do statistics about um like uh all right if we fix this plane like if the plane crashes, there's like a certain ratio that they allow, like, okay, X amount of people can die. We'll have to pay out X amount okay, of dollars. Okay. That yeah. costs less than actually fixing the entire fleet of airline airplanes to not crash at all. They're they like, no, that, it's cheaper yeah. to let people die and pay the families. Opportunity yeah. costs and trade-offs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Opportunity sure. costs and trade-offs. Okay. Exactly. Thank you. So when we take things like healthcare, And we treat it as a commodity versus treating it as a human right that everyone should have because, you know, science has advanced so far that we can live longer. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the the patent for insulin was given to the Mm -hmm. United States government for free. And it is it is ridiculous that. We have to pay so much for insulin. I know. Never that's mind topic. anything. Never yeah, mind anything. Never mind anything. Never Which, mind anything. Again, like medicines that are researched are publicly funded. Yeah. They are funded by the government for research. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we don't get the benefits right. of publicly funding that research. When we mm. ex- the the cost of medicine is just exorbitant. But that's exactly what happens when you treat healthcare as a commodity that should be bought and tr- and sold at the highest price that it can be at it's versus... the hunger games it's the hunger yeah. games it's yeah. the hunger Absolutely. games so okay to cut you off but it's like no no yeah. it, so it's, it's so irate three thousand dollars for 30 pills ridiculous my best friend colleen had cancer she doesn't have cancer now but medications fifty two thousand dollars a month what fucking medication? What pill? 
Mm-hmm. I could buy crack cocaine. I don't understand. Yeah. How is that? So why is that so expensive? Where did they go? What did they go to Mars to collect? <laughs> right. These. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't understand. And she was like, uh, I guess she's not taking it. Right. She's not taking it. Yeah. I'm on uh, I'm on a medication called Ozempic, which is a GLP-1 inhibitor. Uh, oh, it's okay. used to treat diabetes. Okay. okay. Um, uh, I don't, I'm pre-diabetic, okay. which is why I'm on the medication. Uh, it's a once weekly injection. That's what Donovan takes. Yeah. Yeah. And without the insurance that I have, which is Medicaid through the state because I'm not working, mm-hmm. uh, it would be over $2,000 a month. How can you fucking pay for that? And and then here's another other hour of podcasting and 10 hours of podcasting is this. Yeah. So you're if you're working, you have to pay more. But if you're you know what I mean? It's just like it's just they don't help mm-hmm. you. They don't help. No. My insurance was four hundred dollars a month. Four hundred dollars a month. Yep. Then I have to pay uh you know, the thousand, two thousand dollars for, for Donovan. And then I ended up mm-hmm. and sadly, well, not sadly, gratefully, cause I'm in the system, like understanding working for the system. I understand it. He got OPWDD certified, thank God. So he ended up having a separate, so it doesn't matter how much I make. He now can get those medications, but that was hard work that I had to navigate that I had to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. And the system is not here for our children and for people who are ill and who need assistance to be successful. If you die, it's cheaper, as you just said. Yeah. And okay. So let's shift before we go on for three hours. Yeah. Cause so, this is something this I, is we, something, I yeah. can talk about this. <laughs> we for, can, we can yeah, talk this for lots yeah. and lots of, and we'll have you back. We'll have you yes. back. I'd love that. Yeah, we'll have you back for sure. We'll have you, so, Mackie. We'll have you, Mackie. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Matthew for change. Okay. Yes. So, okay. So first of all, everybody, go to your computers and your phones. Go to MatthewForChange.com. I also want you to follow them on social media, and uh, Z will tell you where to do that. But it's New York State Assembly District One Hundred One for now. Now, so civics 102. Gotcha. Go. Okay, go. (laughs) So, about the assembly district, right? Yes, okay. So, I am uh, oh, wait, and everybody get a drink because this is insane. Okay, go. Yeah, okay. So, first, I'll let you know my socials, uh, because I'll go on for for assembly, Mm -hmm. uh, for the madness that is the district. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Carby the, that's C-A-R-B-I-E, the. Um, you can also follow me on TikTok at Carby Wanta Chow, C-A-R-B-I-E-W-A-N-T-A-C-I-A-O. Because because my drag, okay, so Carby. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to figure out. Bunny trail, bunny trail. We need to talk about Carby. I get confused very quickly, Matthew. I just got in the swing of thinking go ahead i got you so carby is my drag name thank you aka carby the dragtivist aka <laughs> carby want to chow and she's <laughs> like barbie but she likes to actually eat carbohydrates so 
she's Is it okay Carby. to laugh because it's brilliant? That's yeah, really good. It's brilliant. Please. Carby. Yes. <laughs> Carby. Because I like to call myself uh, I- I'm a little bit sassy, I'm a little bit classy, and I'm a lot of bit trashy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's Carby Wantichow. Hence, um, hence Donna recognizing best friends material right away. It makes so much yeah. sense now. It makes, and now it's like everything is just kind of coming together. Okay. Yeah. That's brilliant. So, brilliant. Thank you. Um, and then on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash Matthew for change with the word for not the number four. Um, and those are all my socials, I believe. Yeah. Um, and let's see, Assembly District 101. It's 141 miles from top to bottom and 20 miles across at its largest point. It go, it's also known as the Snake District. It used to be known as the Dragon District, but when the Assembly redistricted it this year, they moved, morphed it from a dragon to a snake. Um, it's one of the most gerrymandered uh, uh, districts in the state, if not the whole country. Really? Uh, yes, and it is gerrymandered for Republicans. Oh. Um and so we are fighting an uphill battle, but, you know, the battle still needs to, to be fought. Mm-hmm. And um, we're winning that battle, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And regardless of the outcome of the election, the messaging is getting out there. And that's that's the win right there. Um, right. For uh, Yeah, for in a district like this. Um, so it crosses into six counties but never the majority of those six counties it's only portions of those six counties including one town in two counties so it's like i have one town in madison county one town in sullivan i have um the western four uh towns of ulster and it goes into the middle of orange county and um the issues at the top half of my district and the bottom half of my district are night and day. Orange County and Ulster County, while they're, they are very rural and they have a lot of uh, agricultural communities there, they also are very suburban. They have a lot of resources. They have a lot of, uh, you know, even though there's still a wait for some of those resources, like there's a lot more than, let's say, in the upper portion of the district. Delaware County, Madison County, Otsego, and Sullivan. All of those portions of the district are very rural. And sometimes it takes two hours to drive to find a doctor and a six to eight month waiting period to get care. And that's from a physical health provider or a mental health provider. And those that six to eight months can be literally life or death for some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So um, we find that there's a lot of issues in the upper portion of the district, mostly because they don't really have effective representation in the legislature. You know, the simple math, and it's not a reflection on Republican leadership or values, we could probably spend another eight hours talking Mm -hmm. about that, but not a reflection on the party itself, but just the simple math. We have a supermajority of Democrats in the Assembly and the Senate. We have a Democratic governor. That's not expected to change in this election. It will stay the same. And so what that means is 
Republican Democrats don't need Republicans to pass any legislation in Albany. They can solely rely on Democrats. And what that means is that Republicans can't leverage any kind of power or bring up the issues to the district about the district to get that money in that budgetary process we were talking about earlier, because they just don't need the Republicans to vote on things. So what happens is it while there is a huge power dynamic there, it means any Republican is going to be ineffective in being able to bring resources back to their communities. Um, so that's issue number one. Um, and for over a decade, this district has only had Republican representation. And so when you have a lack of leverage or a lack of power or even being able to bring the voices of the community up to Albany and effectively make change, you, the people in this district, suffer for that. Um, in Delaware County, they don't have a public transportation system and they're, they have an aging population. The young people are moving away. They are moving to places that are uh, that places that have more resources, that have public transportation, that have jobs, and boost their economy. And what happens is now you have all of this aging population that's just left behind, that can't get to a grocery store, that can't go see a doctor because there is no public transportation system available for them. There's an issue with broadband expansion. Like there's mm -hmm. an issue with cell phone expansion. I drive through the district. I've put 50,000 miles in my car in the last nine months. And I can tell you for two straight hours, I do not have cell phone reception. And oh. God forbid I get into a car accident. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, God forbid anyone gets into a car accident. You have to hope that someone is coming down that rural road behind you that's actually able to assist in any kind of way or has service to call 911 or any emergency service. And I mean, some of the towns that I've been to, you know, I walk into them and it's like stepping back into the 1930s and 40s. Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. there. there are homes that are, you know, have been on fire and burnt down. And I'm being told by community members, the home, the structure, the burnt structure is still there after four years of it being on fire. And it, it flabbergasts me that we live in one of the richest states in the country. So the, our state's budget is bigger than some country's economy. <laughs> and we can't make sure that every single portion of our district has the resources they need to succeed, that the ch our children are getting educated in the way they should be educated with a great high quality education, that our graduation rates aren't low in, and in lots of portions of the district, they are low, that we aren't like, there's just so much more we can be doing instead of, you know, bowing down to corporate interests or, you know, giving tax breaks to the ultra wealthy and ultra powerful um, when those resources could be poured into communities to really help people. Mm -hmm. Yes. 100%. 100%. And, um, yeah. Even worse. And I think even more egregious. It's the, I think the worst part of this whole situation with redistricting is that 
in Ulster and Orange County, there's around 12,670, I believe it is, registered voters of color in just Orange and Ulster County. And in the Sullivan, Otsego, Madison, and Delaware portions of the county, there's 198. And there's 14,000 registered voters in those portions, which effectively means that that upstate portion of the district cancels out any registered voter of color and their voice and the issues that they need to be addressed here. So it's effectively a racist district. It completely silences out this huge community of people. I mean, in all of the registered voters of color in Ulster and Orange County make up 17% of the electorate, which is a large portion of the electorate. And to be completely wiped away mm-hmm. is just absolutely absurd. And it's mm-hmm. designed that way. It was designed that way. The yeah. legislature designed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's that's beyond a party issue because Democrats and Republicans both voted on it. Right. Mm. Right. And some of the things that I've heard were, oh, we overlooked that. How can you overlook that? That's in, in a time and an age where, you know, we're going through the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going through listening to our communities and, and seeing all of these racial justice issues that need to happen. How do you just forget to o- or overlook mm-hmm. this huge discrepancy that now this district is going to have to live with for the next two years mm-hmm. um, until they change it in the next two years because the Court of Appeals found it unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There's a Max. lot to unpack. I'm it's sorry. so crap. <laughs> Holy crap. There's a lot to I know. Unpack. I'm gonna go walk in traffic right now. Excuse <laughs> I'm gonna me. just like Let me oh. put down my headphones, just walk right into traffic. No, I heard this I heard this for months. Um, this became, you know, reg my life for you know, my life for months. And now it's you know, I just my hat's off to you for actually like i happily ran away from it you know i was like in it and i was like okay i'm done thanks bye but um you're just a better human than me and oh Oh, don't say that you're not a better human yeah you're so Uh, matthew you are definitely a better human than me because (laughs) (laughs) just we're just gonna go with that um and i you know, I'm so honored that you, um, I don't know, I'm, you know, on behalf of humanity. Yes. <laughs> thank you for Represent, Donna. Represent. Your mouth. <laughs> thank you for opening your mouth. Thank you for taking action. Thank you for um, looking at an uphill battle and saying, okay, <laughs> I'll take that on. <laughs> Because, quite frankly, I can't tell you how many people have said, there's no way Zikuin. Oh, I know. And <laughs> I've been and, told that. Right. And I say, we'll see. Because crazier things have happened. And if it isn't for people like you, then nothing changes. Yeah. I also so, want to say that so, winning is is also a perspective. It's also a yeah. uh, not a perspective. Winning is a some 
You've already won. Yep. That's the exactly outcome, what I said. Donna, I was just the outcome is may not, you know, our outcome is an expectation, but the courage, the tenacity, and what everything that Donna is saying got you to the point where you're where these issues are being heard. We know who Matthew Mackey is now. We didn't yeah. know who Matthew Mackey you know, was. You know, and and I'm gonna talk about them like they're not here. Yeah, do it. Uh, so the campaign is not Matthew for assembly. The campaign isn't Mackie for your elector. Right. Electorate. It's Matthew for change. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what happens on November 8th, as far as I'm concerned, this campaign is successful because 100%. nothing else you know you are talking about the things that have to be talked about and you are you're taking it up and i'm just oh like i just want to make out with you so hard <laughs> <laughs> so inappropriate uh, um, um and you know what i i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> i'm honored no offense i don't swing that way i know um, i i know i know i know you've um, met my husband i have met your adorable husband i don't want any domestics now no domestics uh, his husband how long have you been married um well we're not legally married right but, okay you know me in either years, I, 15 in years. years we are right um, right <laughs> Uh, we've been together for 10 years. Oh, right. that's lovely. And in gay years, that's like 80. A lifetime. Yeah, it's like <laughs> right. um, I just yeah. want to piggyback on that of how this is the first time we've met, but I feel like I've known you a very long time. Um, how honored I am to have this conversation with you. And don't stop. Don't stop. Just whatever the position it's a vehicle and i say this all the time i had my job as an interpreter as a vehicle to help those kids i had a job as an advocate as a vehicle the job as a vehicle to spiritually help all the families that i've helped every position even working in the corrections facility was a vehicle every position we have on earth is a vehicle to make change when our souls are asked when our souls are saying it's time, we need help, we need change. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say is I am so grateful for your stereo alarm. Me too. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I yes. I mean that. And thank you both for your kind words. And it it it's been my honor to to really, you know, reveal myself and or explain what's going on and you know, I, with, as someone who has two deaf parents and was never told to shut up as a kid because they never <laughs> heard me, uh, I'm very loud. I'm very proud and no one will silence me. And yeah. um, exactly. I love that. <laughs> and um, that's the way I, I look at this is, you know, I'm not in this for me, which is why, like, when I, when I talk about our campaign i say our campaign because right. it's not my campaign no it's correct. not about yeah. me mm -hmm. it's about mm -hmm. making the change that we need so that everyone succeeds and it's 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 not just like the way i look at it is 
you know, how we work with other legislators. And I get this asked this a lot. Like, how are you going to work with other legislators when they might not be on the same page? Mm -hmm. And it's just breaking it down like this. If my district is succeeding, your district is going to succeed. Because what happens, and if you break it down on a monetary financial level, because that's what a, a lot of politicians look at, is when, when everyone here is succeeding, the financial burden on the state is lessened, which means that people in other districts have to pay less taxes, which benefits your district. So when we succeed, we all succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a matter of breaking it down like that. But anyway, thank you for all your kind words. I really You're appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay, yeah. before we go, mm -hmm. yeah. tell everyone again how they can find you. And also, I just want to say, as someone who worked on a campaign, and granted, our campaign was bigger, but boy, every dollar counts. So if yeah. what you heard today on the podcast moved you in any way, mm -hmm. please donate to the campaign and tell everybody how to do that. You can go to www.matthewforchange.com or you could just Google search Matthew Mackey. I'm the first thing that pops up. Nice. Good job. Um, Good job. Thank you. Um, and uh, there's a link there to donate. It goes right into Act Blue. And I will let everyone know that to be on the lookout because we are launching a campaign ad this weekend. It should be on Facebook, Twitter, all the socials. It's really good and powerful. And I think it really reflects the conversation. That so share it, share it, and look at the um, district and see if you're in it or if you know somebody who's in it. And um, just, you know, more is more when it comes to information. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not registered to vote, go register oh, by sakes. October 14th, <laughs> which is Friday. <laughs> okay. If okay, but early voting starts October 29th. That's Election right. day is November 8th. Vote row A all the way. And flip <laughs> your uh if you live in New York, flip your ballot over because there's an amendment referendum and it helps with the environment it brings new jobs to the community and it, it will boost the economy and we vote yes for that or no for that yes yes vote yes, yes on the yes, amendment big yes. big yes the big yes, yes. okay great yeah matthew this is not going to be the last time no uh, oh my no. god you're on the sisters no. podcast That's it. You're we have so much no. to talk, so talk about. about anytime um thank you so while we're concluding we just i uh this has just been amazing just thank you um, thank you all our listeners. Thank you for listening. Please go. Ah, special shout out to the Grundy clan. Oh, all right. Until uh, next time. Until next time, please go to patreon.com. The sisters are in, uh, sign up for five, 10, 20 or $38, uh, for a video of the day. And also I will be and with Donna's assistance on TikTok Live on Tuesdays from 7.30 to 8.30. It was super fun. Super fun. And I want to keep doing it. So please, if you know me, get on there and then ask questions so it looks like I'm fancy. And then I get more listeners, <laughs> more outside listeners. So thank you so much for, for listening. And everybody, live in the moment and think positive. Bye, Don. Bye, Kath. Bye, Bye Matthew. Matthew. Bye. Bye.